Welcome to the Embrace It series, where women with all types of disabilities can be real, resourceful, and stylish. With each episode, you'll walk or roll away with everyday tips, life hacks, and success stories from community leaders and influencers. So take off your leg braces and stay a while with Lainey and Estella. Hi, I'm Lainey, and I have CMT. And I'm Estella, and I also have CMT a neuromuscular disorder affecting approximately 2.6 million people worldwide. That's as many as MS. We believe that disabilities should never get in the way of looking or feeling good. Both of us wear leg braces and have learned through our own personal journeys to embrace it. For more information and exclusive resources, check out our websites at trend-able.com and hnf-cure.org. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes and special promos. So hello, everyone. We are so excited for another episode of the Embrace It series. Uh, Today, Lainey and I are super excited to bring you uh, an incredible woman um, who I have the honor of being friends with. And we kind of connected this past year. And I think everybody will definitely completely inspired by her story and uh, and journey. So today we have Marissa Hamamoto, who is the founder of the professional and inclusive dance company, Infinite Flow. Welcome, Marissa. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. You're on the West Coast for everyone, right? Yes, I am based in Los Angeles. So yeah, so let's let's dive in a little bit into your story because it's it's absolutely remarkable. Um, you've been a dancer for the majority of your life, correct? Correct. I started dancing when I was six. Okay. So what was it? How did you become or how did you fall in love with with dance? And what was it about dance that that really that you connected with so much? Yeah. So. I am of Japanese descent, specifically I am fourth generation Japanese American. If you take it from my dad's dad's side, um, I'm a Japanese immigrant. If you take it from my mom's side, my mom is a Japanese immigrant. Um, I do identify as fourth generation Japanese American. But anyway, I grew up in Orange County, California, specifically in Irvine during the 80s and 90s. Um, Irvine today is incredibly diverse um, and actually a very high Asian population. Um, when I grew, when, when I was in elementary school, I, I found myself oftentimes as the only Asian person um, at school and in other places. Um, and for me, like, I, just to kind of keep the story short, between first and second grade, I went from a teeny tiny private school to public school. And this transition was like a massive transition for me. And I went, you know, there was a lot of kids and, um, and my first week of school, I was, uh, you know, made fun of uh, for bringing a Japanese lunch to school. And I was also, um, kind of teased for my Asian eyes. And this was like, this wasn't extreme bullying, but it was enough that to this day, it, I, when I think about those things, I can, I remember them vividly and they were really hurtful. After school and ballet class too, I was, I found myself as the only person of color. Yet yeah, something about moving my body to music, um, 
made me feel like I belonged, even though I was the only person of color. And something about that, even though I, I, I would have never been able to use, use these words to explain that situation then, um, I fell in love with dance. It became my home. It became the place that I can be who I was, no matter what. And that passion just kept on growing and growing as I grew up. Yeah, I was little, like before um, my Chagrin-Marie tooth disease came, became bad. I My mom had me in tap and ballet, and it's very much a stereotypical white girl activity, right? So you probably, not only were you a minority in your community, but in dance in general, it's not, it doesn't, you know, I think that's changing, but back when you were growing up, I would assume that wasn't a real common extracurricular activity. Yeah, I, I kind of grew up right before, I would say, um, where I grew up in Irvine, became highly populated with Asians, and a lot of mixed racial families kind of started to form. And now it's like I go back to Irvine and occasionally take ballet class, and I look around going, oh, wow, there's a lot of half-Asian dancers in class, which kind of tells me what happened. But anyways, <laughs> um, it's, yes. And I think, like, I, going back to what Estella said, um, you know, I'm a stroke survivor, and I'm guessing we're going to probably get to that story in a bit. Um, but I'm able to empathize a lot with the exclusion that people with disabilities, as well as other minority groups, face because of my Asian American heritage. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I think like when when I when I saw that people with disabilities were excluded heavily and. Um, not just from the social sense, but also from an accessibility place. Because I think, you know, um, not being able to go somewhere because of the lack of accessibility, that's a type of exclusion too. I was able to empathize with that. Like, I, I can't, I haven't experienced all types of lack of accessibility, but I can understand what it feels like when you're the other. And yeah. one of the one of my, one of my, one of Infinite Flow's new taglines, I'm so, I'm, this is my first time announcing this, I don't know when this is going to be published, but anyways, one of our new taglines, one of my personal taglines is inclusion is about us, not them. Mm. And it's, I love that. Really, like, I mean, I'm sure both of you can agree. Oftentimes, people with disabilities are referred referred as them. Oh, they should be more excluded. Oh, you know, I talked to them and they thought this or they thought that. And I'm like, so who's them and who are you? Like, and, and so, and I, I feel like, um, yeah, and I feel like, you know, we each have a place, you know, in this world to contribute towards change. And so I think, whether it's accessibility, inclusion, Black Lives Matter, um, uh, xenophobia, whatever, all these things that are happening around like the lack of equity and inclusion in our country right now, this is not about just this one group or this other group. This is about all of us creating change together. So we're super, I know people out there have never, you know, a lot of them haven't heard of Infinite Flow, but let's go back to your story for a second. And um, what was the turning point for you in terms of, I think, college? So, yeah, so when I was uh, around 12, I um, saw the New York City Ballet perform, and that sparked me to um, have this big dream to become a professional ballerina. Um, unfortunately, I didn't quite fit the ballet mold and was told over, over and over, no after no after no. 
Um, at the age of 19, I was sexually assaulted by one of my ballet teachers, which left oh. a really big scar um, in inside of me. Um, I ended up in college uh, in Japan. Uh, and um, when I was a senior in college, um, and at this time I was pursuing academics, I was working part-time, and then I was still trying to be a dancer and in the middle of a dance class outside of the college. Um, I felt my elbows tingle, momentarily fell to the ground, found, found myself paralyzed from the neck down. And then the next day I was told by the doctor that I had a rare stroke called spinal cord infarction. And I was also told that I may never be able to walk or dance again. Oh my God. And that, that happened in class? Is that it happened in the middle of a dance class? Oh wow. So for me, because it also happened inside of a dance class, I was traumatized to go to any dance studio or dance period for a while afterward. Um, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, long story short, I did walk out of the hospital after two months. I'll admit my time in the hospital is like a blur in memory. Um, but one thing I will say is that the stroke and you know, kind of being in the hospital bed, it really brought up a lot of trauma and emotion from the past. And um, a lot of it was related to rejection um, a lot, and, you know, the sexual assault, um, feeling like I don't belong. And so here I am in Japan. And, you know, and this is so interesting about like when everyone's talking about color right now. So yes, my experience when I was a little kid was I was the only person of color in this environment feeling like I didn't belong. But then when I moved to Japan where everybody basically looks like me, I still didn't feel like I belong because I was, I'm Japanese, but I was, you know, kind of grew up in the States. I have a different way of kind of carrying myself around and people didn't like it. You know, So, um, so anyways, um, yeah. So just to kind of fast forward, I spent about, three, three and a half years and a lot of PTSD from the stroke. Um, there were times during those three years where I would have nightmares of the whole incident happening again. There was days that I just could not get out of bed. I went through a little bit of rebellion, like kind of like the teenagers go through. I kind of had that around the age of 25, 26. Um, and then, and physically, uh, and physically, I don't mean to cut you off, but physically during this time, you said you walked out of the hospital, but they said you would possibly never walk. So like, where were you at in terms of your physical stuff at that point? That, that's a really good question. So I was able to walk. I have, I, my, my hands with the land, I was, um, my stroke happened at the C6, C7 level. So my extremity, my hands were actually the last thing to move. Um, to this day, my left hand is still slightly paralyzed. There's a part of my hand that's actually like, I can't, you know, there's, there's like little movement, but, um, but anyways, more than, anything, I was terrified that the stroke was going to happen again. So any tingling I felt in my body, I would start to like, have these moments of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is it going to happen again? It was so even though it didn't happen again, it was hard to kind of shut that part of my mind off, or you know, and, and eventually I had to train my brain to go, no, Marissa, you just need to scratch your freaking shoulder and it'll be done. Like, yeah, you're okay. Gone. Like, I'll be okay. Like, I had, I really had to retrain my brain because every single time I would literally start, just panic, start, I'm you know, sure. panic. yeah, yes, thank you. Yeah. Panic. yeah. Um, but, you know, 
long story short, at the end of the dark tunnel, I discovered ballroom dancing. And how this happened was that I was at a New Year's party 2010, and there was salsa dance entertainment. It was one couple that came out in Tokyo um, and danced, and they were not great, you know, but they got the audience to get up and just do this six step salsa basic step. Mm -hmm. And they got the entire audience to just dance. And I was like, oh my gosh, how this is amazing. Like the fact that everyone is dancing and just to kind of take two steps back when I was in college in Japan, I was at an all academic university, um, dance arts, you know, things like that were just nothing in part, part of the, the, the school's curriculum or culture nothing, you know, and I used to always think, you know, and, and I was also doing a lot of research in dance and biomechanics and connecting all my assignments to dance. And, and I used to look around going, man, if everybody, if everybody would, would dance, they would be happier. You yeah, know? I love that. And so <laughs> when I saw this room full of people just like, you know, just do the six step salsa step, um, it got me really excited that, oh, wow, these quote unquote normal people are dancing and they're having fun. And that was also when I was like, but wait a minute, I haven't been dancing and why am I not doing this? Like, and, and so I, I saw something in it for me at that moment mm. that eventually led me to go to my first salsa class. Um, and then I remember being terrified to dance with another human being I didn't know. Um, you have to also understand, um, between the stroke and uh, discovering dance all over, I had also been sexually assaulted two more times during this time. And so there was a barrier around me. Like I was just so scared of human connection. It was just the biggest fear. So I remember going to this first salsa class going, oh my gosh, am I going to survive this? like without having mm. another panic attack. And surely enough, I survived it. I remember leaving the class going, oh my gosh, I just accomplished one of the biggest things. When, one of my, it was this amazing feeling of basically conquering a huge fear inside of me. So right. then at that time, I didn't know that salsa and ballroom were two separate things, but then that led me to just doing everything I possibly can to get a ballroom dance career launch. And so I did that then moved back to the States, you know, moved to Hollywood to start my dance career all over again, 2012. But then once I got there, I found myself again, not fitting the mold of the mm -hmm. LA dancer. Like it was again, like no after no. And I can just clearly think, see that I just did not fit in with the culture of commercial dance. And when I hit rock bottom, you know, I asked myself, like, when in doubt, focus out, what can I do with the skills and experience experiences I have right now? And mm -hmm. um, that was when I discovered wheelchair dancing. Um, one thing led to the next. And one of the most influential moments that happened was, um, so I didn't know, I, I, I did some research, found how underdeveloped the area of dance and disability was as well as statistics such as 57 or 56 million Americans have a disability, 1 billion people. I mean, all these statistics on disability also came in front of me. And I was like, yeah. whoa, wait a minute here. 
this is not right that people with disabilities don't have equal access. So I just felt compelled to do something about it. And the first, one of the first things I did was I was like, okay, well, I don't know where to start, but let's look for a dance partner that uses a wheelchair. Um, And um, that became Adelpho, who I still dance with today. He's right there. (laughs) What's amazing was, um, you know, I messaged him on Facebook, was like, all right, if I get a response, I get a response. He responded within like an hour or something. And then two days later, we got into the studio. I was terrified to dance with them. A combination of not having any experience dancing Mm. with someone in a wheelchair on top of not knowing what I was doing. Um, but after a couple hours, I had this moment where we're, you know, we're, we're dancing hand in hand, just trying to figure things out. And, um, and he has no dance experience. And there's this moment where I was like, wait a minute, dancing with Adelpho is nothing different from dancing with anyone else. And I went as far as that night thinking, oh my gosh, if the world danced, there would be no war. And mm-hmm. something told me that I had to act on this and that eventually became infinite flow. So, and Infinite Flow has, you know, evolved and grown and changed. And, you know, it's, it's like over the five years, it's gone all over the map and it's taken me a while to just kind of figure out what we are and what we are meant to be. And I've kind of gone with the flow with how people respond to our work. Um, And yeah, now it's like, I, I actually, during this quarantine, I've had some quiet time to be able to kind of reflect on who we are and what we represent so and and who are you like who are who is infinite flow so you know our mission hasn't changed for at least the last year thankfully (laughs) but anyway so our mission is to use dance to inspire inclusion and innovation so we're a professional dance company that's composed of dancers with and without disabilities and initially we started off with manual wheelchair dancers dancing with standing dancers it was very exclusive not inclusive at all now it's like my troupe is is really a variety of dancers identifying with different types of disabilities being deaf blind um, autism, you know, par- paraplegia, spinal bifida, you know, it's, and I also have dancers that identify as LGBTQ and it's, it's a rainbow array. I mean, it, it's very like, it's a very colorful, um, diverse group of dancers, the core group of dancers I have. Um, then I have other dancers that I consider on my roster who are not really part of our core group, but, you know, kind of join in project by project. Some are overseas, some are on the other side of the country, et cetera. And in terms of what we do, this took me a while to put in words, but what we are doing is we are taking the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion out of people's heads into people's hearts, bodies, and souls. Mm. So we are like, you know, do I consider Infinite Flow a dance company? Yes. But I think it's more than a dance company. I think what we are doing is, um, I don't want to say we're protesting. That's that that that's not the right word. But we're really here to make a statement mm-hmm. and to create change. Um, I consider myself a social entrepreneur, where I'm 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 solving a problem through the power of business and activism, basically. So, um, but I would say that you know our target is not necessarily people with disabilities. It's actually trying to influence the rest of the world in a right. way to be more inclusive. I don't want to say the rest of the world, to, to really inspire each of us to be more inclusive and contribute towards that change. 
Right. Because if you just had, you know, a group of people with disabilities, that's not that's not so much inclusion, right? It's it's blending, you know, those two worlds together and realizing that it's really us and and you know well, definitely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think one of you know one of the most powerful things is that when I first saw you and Peter dancing, it was just like it just broke so many mental stigmas in my mind, even living with a disability myself, just to see, you know, someone in a wheelchair lift you up and spin you around and do all these things that we don't necessarily, uh, you know, relate to disability and dancing. It was just very, very powerful. And I know you've, you've been on Good Morning America. Um, you guys have definitely gained the eyes of of um, media and PBS holiday special. I know you've, you've teamed up with like uh, some corporate um, brands like Adidas. So you, you guys are doing like flash mobs and all of that. So yeah. How I, I, is that? I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I would assume that your ultimate like goal would be that you wouldn't be seen as a dance troupe with disabilities, but just mm-hmm. a dance troupe, like a really good yeah. dance troupe. Well, yeah. you know, just to take a step back. Um, yeah. So our ultimate goal is that we actually don't have to exist anymore because change has been made. Right. You know, if our goal is this, if our vision is an inclusive, accessible world, then, you know, we don't need to exist anymore. So in a way, um, you know, as I was going through my social entrepreneurial journey and learning about what this is all about, I, learned about a concept, which I wish I had learned about at the very beginning of my journey. But anyway, about a couple years ago, this idea of systemic change came about. So there's a difference between creating a direct impact versus systemic change. And both are needed. But then, you know, I chose the systemic change route. And what what um, what direct impact is, it's it's kind of like putting a bandaid on the situation Mm -hmm. um, versus systemic change. It's getting to the root of the cause. And um, solving it from there, you know, and the reality is both are needed because some service, especially a lot of disability service organizations, people need to be served right now, but there need, also needs to be people like myself who are getting to the root cause, which is, or the root problem, which is the lack of accessibility, lack of disability inclusion, et cetera, et cetera, and really work from there. Um, I think like, you know, yes, you know, whether it's Peter or, or any of my dancers, I mean, I'm, really blessed and grateful to have incredible talent. Um, and yeah, you know, I made a realization recently that, and you know, we're taking inclusive dance company out of our name now, where <laughs> it's going to be, what's just going to be infinite flow dance. And, and one thing is I realized that, you know, there's a difference between creating inclusive dance versus using dance to inspire inclusion. Mm. It's impossible to be inclusive of everyone and everything all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, Peter and I dancing, that's just two different people dancing. That's, that, that's not representative of everyone, you know? And rather than always feeling like I'm not doing my job or getting criticized from that side, saying that we're only focusing on certain types of disabilities, you know, I said, well, no, as, as, as Stella said, let's look at the possibilities that come as a result of working together and working together, like having, you know, two different people that barely 
you know, resemble each other, come together? What kind of magic and what kind of possibilities exist? And that's the message that we want to get across. You know, it is, that's not like, I feel like sometimes accessibility is spoken as like an obligation. Like we need to be accessible because the ADA says so. And right. we're, going to, we're going to get sued if we don't. Yeah. But it's like, no, no. Like if you really, you know, if you make even one friend with a disability, they truly become a friend. You'll notice that, oh, you know, inclusion is not really like this checkbox anymore. It's just a way of being, you know? And so that's the message through the dancing, through the storytelling. Um, We're in the middle of rebranding. I don't know when this is going to be released, but maybe we will be rebranded already. But I definitely want to concentrate, in addition to expanding our dancing, I really want to focus a little bit more on storytelling and getting everyone's stories out in a way that's it's when we start to be able to relate to each other's absolutely Absolutely. when that's when like you start to feel connected to people yeah like that could be me exactly i I could you know we could have a stroke tomorrow and be in well yeah and and then people are able to to see themselves and it whether it's dancing singing right anything just um yeah and it's always like we always try to focus on what can we do together? You know, how can we find common ground? And as a result of people working together, what can we build that we can't build alone? Because that's basically, you know, like that's the heart of diversity, equity, and inclusion work is right. really, really getting to how can we all just work together and produce good work together? That's that's yeah. the heart. And so we really, um, you know, in the last couple months, it's it's this has brought more and more to the surface of, um, you know, it's, it's, I've had to kind of put things on pause to kind of just reflect, think, um, and be okay with being messy and be okay with not being so active on social media, (laughs) et cetera. I think it's okay for us to all take a break occasionally, you know, so. If COVID has taught us anything, that's definitely one of its its best lessons there. But I also, I, I, I love um, the assemblies that you do at, at, at schools. I know now schools are kind of up in the air, but tell us a little bit about that. Cause I feel like that is such a, a, such a, like you said, when you were a kid, it was such a, traumatizing experience for you to, you know, be made fun of. I think that's such an important time in somebody's life to really be exposed to inclusion and to see, you know, um, inclusive dance and, and someone like yourself and Peter, your other dancers just take to the stage. I, I'm sure the, the reaction is always so uh, positive. And, yeah. And, and those, those school assemblies you were awarded, like tell us also about the award that you received through GMA. Good morning, America. Yeah. So um, we were called into our first school assembly about two years ago. Um, and we had never performed at a school. This is an elementary school in Culver city. Um, we had never performed at a school before and they said, no, it's okay. Just come and perform and, and just tell us your stories. And so we did that. And sooner or later, this school spread the word really fast. But then in the process of that, we found out that um, most schools did not have the funds to bring us. And we had cut our costs down really low to accommodate schools, but it was still not cutting it, unfortunately. And so last year, um, I ran a crowdfunding campaign to um, raise money. Uh, so that we can go to more schools, we can we can have more sponsored assemblies for schools that are disadvantaged. Um, 
Unfortunately, this campaign got cut short because my father died three weeks into the campaign. However, mm-hmm. we um, along that path, um, Good Morning America called me for something separate. <laughs> this was like so. In- How cool! Sometimes that? it was like, you know, I thought they had found our campaign, but no, it was totally separate. Um, one of the producers there just wanted us to come in and share our stories and perform and it had nothing to do with it. But anyway, I, I pitched the idea of like, well, you know, this is what's on our plate right now. Can we at least talk about it? And she's like, let me try. And then um, on the day of, uh, you know, and this was Good Morning America, third hour, Strahan, Sarah and Kiki. But anyway, at the very end of our segment, they came out with a $10,000 check uh, sponsored by Capizio. Um oh. Aww. Yeah, so it was cool. And then, um, you know, the campaign got cut short. I, I did raise a little bit of money. Um, Farmers Insurance also um, gave us a $20,000 check. And mm-hmm. um, it was, even though it was a short campaign, I, I still consider it successful. Um, so right before COVID, I had, uh, you know, I had a lot, I had some schools lined up for us to go and do some sponsored assemblies. But unfortunately, because of COVID, things got canceled. And I was literally just going to put everything on hold until everything opened up because I really felt like, um, you know, I really felt like these assemblies need to be in person. But then um, one of my mentors uh, uh, um, challenged me to think about bringing the school assembly program to an online program. And I, th- I was like, well... I don't know. I had to think about it. But then I was like, you know what? What what are the pros to this? The pros to this is that we can go, we can offer this assembly for free to schools across the country. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, so that was like, and especially after Good Morning America, I got hundreds of calls. Now I was That's- in Europe when this all ran and my phone was like, <laughs> just, I, I was like, wow, I guess these, these things do happen when people yeah. just and ring you and ring you and it does the phone does not stop and um anyways I couldn't take a lot of the calls because I was like oh my god my phone bill is going to explode here <laughs> you know but um anyway so we're taking our school assembly program to an online program it's going to be a pre-recorded video program with worksheets lesson plans and then you know if the plan goes all well I think once a week we'll do like a public virtual gathering for kids, for grown-ups. Um, this is launching October 1st in time for Disability Awareness Month. That's my awesome. goal. We are still in pre-production for this. Um, I am in the middle of writing the script with a couple other people. Um, I'm really excited. Um, I hope we can pull this through um, despite all the restrictions and everything that is going on. But I'm very excited with the possibility that we will be able to get the message across to our youth and to schools for free mm-hmm. across the country. That's really, really exciting. Wow. Sounds amazing. Marissa, how can people see you that aren't in school <laughs> and <laughs> registered for that? Like how well, can they find you? How can they see the truth perform? How can they reach out to you if they want to? We know they're not going to call you because <laughs> they don't want phone bill to be high, but how yes. can they find you? Um, so our handle is at infinite flow dance, uh, website, infiniteflowdance.org. If you want to personally follow me, I am at Marissa Hamamoto. I have my personal website, marissahamamoto.com. Um, 
I, I would say, <laughs> I can't say that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more active on social media. Uh, but um, anyways, the best way to contact us is via email. Um, if you're a business person, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I do keep that tab open. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. We'll put, we'll put all that in the notes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Us absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, so one final question. What is a kind of your message, if you were speaking directly to the disability community, which you kind of are right now, um, regarding dance? I mean, for those people who have always written off dance as something that's not uh, reachable or, you know, within their possibilities, what, what would your message be to them? You know, I really, truly believe that we each have a dancer inside of us. And, you know, like, you know, you can define dance however way you want. You know, what we present on our viral videos, that's one type of dance. But just singing and moving in the shower, that's another type of dance. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think just naturally our bodies are made to move. So no matter what type of a body you have, it is in our DNA to want to move, you know, at whatever capacity. And um, for, for me, like it's, um, we have a concept called translation, meaning that each of us has a unique body and can translate movement into our own, own unique bodies. So and yeah. there's no right or wrong answer. That's that's another thing. There I love no right that. Or wrong answer. Yeah. So. I love that. I'm channel my inner J Lo. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, I'm gonna turn on some music and well, <laughs> pretend like my body's hers. <laughs> yes, please. Right? I love it, Lainey. Thank you so much for joining yeah, thank us. Thank you. It's been really, really amazing. And I hope everyone checks out your page. And like, if you're able to hire her dance troupe to come out and perform, like, by all means, do it. And we're, so I'm so happy to meet you and know you. Yes, thank, thank you so you. much for having me. And yeah, and yeah, just feel free to reach out, you know, for anyone that's listening. Absolutely. Okay, happy hey. dance, all. That's right. Yay, thank Bye. you. <laughs>